Welcome to the Big Ticket Clients Podcast, where we feature expert thought leaders and cover the best strategies, stories, and psychology you need to land big ticket clients. Because as you know, you can't catch a whale with a worm. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Pillay, and I'm happy to present to you Derek Distenfield. Derek, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing, Dr. Pillay? I'm doing great. Welcome to the Big Ticket Clients Podcast. And you know, I'm excited to talk with you today about a whole bunch of things related to consulting, to marketing and sales, because you're sort of like, you know, you're like a guru, aren't you? Well, that's one way to describe me. I'm also kind of an anti-consultant. I, I, got in, I got into consulting because I hated consultants and I thought I could come up with a better model. Ooh, I like that. Okay, so you're going to have to break the whole thing down for us, what your model of consulting is, the things you've seen out there. But let's start with your story. Uh, Derek, where do you come from? Uh, how did you become you know, the, the consultant you are today? Uh, who is Derek Distenfield? Well, first and foremost, I've been an entrepreneur since I was seven years old. I was selling baseball cards on the side of the road at, at that point in time. And after high school... I didn't go to college. And my dad said, well, if you're not going to go to college, find a city that you're going to move to and I'll buy you a one-way plane ticket. And so I chose New York City and I worked in different startups, different sales jobs, started some companies, had some successes and had some failures. And coming off one of my successes, I had felt that I needed a change. And so I walked into an army recruiting station, told them I wanted to enlist in the army. As my wife says, I went from Armani to the army. <laughs> and I served my country. I got my degree. I became an officer, did all the good, the bad, the ugly things. Good for you. And, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. I'm glad I did it and glad I don't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And when I was transitioning out of the army, I knew that I was going to start a company. I was not going to get a job or do anything conventional that a lot of soldiers do. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenges that I had while I was leading soldiers on active duty is soldiers were running into simple legal dilemmas, mm -hmm. but they had nowhere to go because attorneys were very expensive and Services like LegalZoom didn't provide the handholding or the customization that someone needs when they're dealing with something as difficult as starting a business or, God forbid, going through a divorce or setting up a will. And so I created a company called NextGen Justice, which was legal solutions without lawyers. We had technology like LegalZoom, except we had retail brick and mortar stores. Mm. And we reached product market fit very quickly. Uh, the idea really caught on. Customers loved us and lawyers hated us so <laughs> much that we got sued three times. Wow. And we actually ran out of money from being customers of lawyers, which is kind of ironic when we were trying to put lawyers out of business. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> one of the challenges I had with that business was coming out of the military, I didn't have the network. I didn't really know anybody in business or in technology. Mm -hmm. So when I met Todd Connor, who was the founder of Bunker Labs, mm -hmm. came up with this idea that military veterans have the skills to be successful in startups, but they just don't have the mentors in the networks. Mm -hmm. That really resonated with me. 
So I connected with Todd, uh, was the director of growth and engagement for Bunker Labs, mm-hmm. inking partnerships with J.P. Morgan Chase, Comcast, USAA, mm-hmm. MetLife. Um, so a lot of big ticket items there mm-hmm. to help fund that organization. And then I decided that you know it's fun helping entrepreneurs and growing an organization, but I want to play. Mm-hmm. So I was. Um, I switched over and worked at 360 Payments, where I was the chief operating officer, handing people, process, technology, marketing for a $2 billion payment company here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And you know, throughout my career, one of the things that I've always done was worked with consultants. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the challenges that I had with consultants was that they would offer things that were cookie cutter, that were not customized to me. Mm. Another problem was that they constantly wanted to expand the scope beyond the problem that I had hired them to solve, in a sense, keeping them employed. Mm -hmm. Another challenge that I consistently ran into is there seemed to be two different kinds of consultants, ones that were very good at marketing themselves and so good at it that they had a little time for their clients mm-hmm. or the ones that focused on the acquisition, such as connecting you to a partner at a large firm who was very slick and very polished and very capable, but then they turned you over to a 24-year-old MBA, mm-hmm. and, which really wasn't what, what you were sold. Yeah. And so I developed a marketing firm that kind of changed a lot of those things that I found challenges with. And Mm -hmm. based on the skill set that I had, I've always believed in selling organizations like a a religious cult. And Mm -hmm. we named the firm cult following Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. metaphor to a cult. And we run clients through three phases, which is recruit, indoctrinate and spread. And then we work ourselves out of a job. And, and so it's been a, a lot of fun doing that. And then one of the things I just wanted to add, just to top off my journey, mm-hmm. as we've kind of built this firm, we've recently um, decided to focus on the whole ecosystem of companies acquiring customers. And so we're pivoting into a venture studio where we're helping with all phases of a company from idea to product, to marketing, to capital. And we're really excited about that. Wow, that, that is quite a journey. And, and I have to say that something that you've said that really caught my eye is that you say you bring calm to the ambiguous. Um, so you got to explain that. What, what do you mean by you bring calm to the ambiguous? Well, you know, one of the things that you learn in the military is you really learn how to handle stressful situations how to accomplish missions to, with little or no resources, mm-hmm. how to lead an objective. And, and you know, that, those, that's precisely what I mean by that statement. Got it. And so diving in, figuring out where the opportunities are mm-hmm. and doing it in a calm, simple manner is important, not just for your team, but for the customers that you're trying to sell that solution or product to. You know, I, I really appreciate the connection 
that you have to your military background. Uh, I've seen almost all the way, two out of the three businesses that you've described here that you've been a part of or developed have been focused on serving military, military veterans. And, and even your, your philosophy is all about, you know, bringing calm to the ambiguous like the military does. I'm so proud of, of you and, and hearing you say that. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your customers? You know, what, who are they? What kind of uh, uh, challenges do they deal with when, when you first find them? And I don't want to forget, but you got to tell us why you are the anti-consultants. But let's start with your, 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 your ideal clients, who, who you serve, who exactly do you serve, and, and what challenges do they have? So we serve startups that have recently been funded. So past the seed stage, we typically like a round startups Mm -hmm. that have found those first 10,000 customers and have some semblance of product market fit, Mm -hmm. but need some help with turning on the gas. Our style of marketing is not conventional in the sense that we come up with Facebook ads for you or new graphics or or tell you you need a new website. We really focus on developing the story and the brand that people want to be a part of. And oftentimes we do it by developing groups, both online or offline or a combination of the two. And then simultaneously helping that startup determine not their features and benefits, but what it is that they truly stand for. And so we talk a lot about Nike. And if Nike created a a hotel, Mm -hmm. we would have a general idea what to expect at that hotel because we know Nike's values so well. But if Hyatt created a basketball shoe, we would probably have no idea what to expect from that shoe. And it's because Nike tells you what they stand for and Hyatt sells hotel rooms. And I I think that's completely different. So so basically, your ideal clients are bigger companies. So basically, big ticket clients, uh, if you will, that are struggling with their brand messaging. And you help them uh, sort of construct and design their story, their brand, and launch it. What, what kind of tools do you use? Do you, do you have uh, your own sort of point of view, a book that you've written, a body of knowledge? What is the strategy to really help customers like that? I don't want to simplify it too much, but the first thing you have to use is your ears. Mm. Um, that's the first tool we, we use, is really listen to the founders and figure out what it is they want to accomplish, Mm -hmm. but also tougher questions that sometimes they haven't thought about. Things like, what is it that you want users or customers to feel when they're interacting about your brand? What is it that you want them to say about your brand to others? And, And really kind of delving into that. And they usually either haven't thought about it or haven't thought about it for very long. And that's where my team of six, we really delve into not just what the founder's thoughts are, but we delve into research that we have found to really differentiate this story and what is really going to work to ultimately establish a community, Mm -hmm. uh, establish those raving fans. And so, I, I mean, that that's what we do. You know, I'm, I'm really uh, interested in your topic, uh, 
because you, you mentioned that you help people with stories and the, the stories that create brands. And it immediately brings to mind, actually, it brings to mind uh, a book uh, by um, Donald Miller, um, which is called Building a Story Brand. And a lot of people uh, have been through this program or bought, read this book. Are you talking about the same kind of thing when you, when you talk about story and its connection to brand, or, or is it different? And maybe help us understand how it's different. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not too familiar with that book, to be honest with you. It, it's, it sounds like a great book, but let me just kind of talk about one of our clients to really kind of lay it home. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our clients is a legal chat software. And they have operations in three states, New York, LA, and Boston. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing, it's an AI chat bot that replaces receptionists for lawyers. Okay. And so we did a deep dive into lawyers, thinking about how we could acquire them uh, as customers and how we could develop a community. It's partially about the story, but it's also about an actual community of users. Got it. And one of the things that we found and we also knew instinctively is that lawyers love meetings and they love networking. Mm-hmm. And so what we did is, and also those three cities are relevant because a lot of lawyers are in those cities. Mm-hmm. So what we did was is we developed a monthly meetup, a legal tech meetup in each one of those cities for the client. Mm-hmm. And then it's really easy to, once you create a meetup, to add other users from meetup.com and really grow that meetup list. And so then we found interesting guests. And so again, we're bringing together those group of people, um, having those meetups. And so what we got to was we grew the meetups to several thousand users and then we were about a 65% trial rate of the free chat bot. Mm. So then that obviously we had revenue targets as well. So now what we're doing is, is we're working on how do we convert those, user, uh, those freemium users into paid users. And right now we're about 25% um, turning into paid, which we think is pretty good, but we want to continue to tweak that. Yeah. And so it's ultimately creating that online community or offline community, but it's online too, because just by growing the meetup group, mm-hmm. even if 30 people show up to your event, you can get a lot more eyeballs on that because you're going to email every single member of your community mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about the meetup and have a little promotion at the end. And the eyeballs are important is because that's how you get the high quality guests. Cause everybody wants eyeballs. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of one example of how we intermix both online and offline storytelling with online and offline techniques. Yeah. And that's really what we mean about developing a community. So that's the recruit and then indoctrinating that community into paid users. And then one of our core philosophies is, is we don't believe that you should hire us forever. So our third phase is spread which is where we automate everything as much as we can or turn the plan over to you Mm -hmm. and your organization, your CMO or director of marketing uh, can take it and run with it. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, I I, I love your model. Your model is basically, um, you know, you recruit, you indoctrinate and then you spread, right? So you sort of, 
you lose your you lose your customers to their own success. I like that uh, idea. Now, I want to take you way back to when you said that you are sort of the anti-consultant. Sure. You could tell us a little bit about that. And if you don't mind, share with us um, your definition of consulting as it relates to big ticket clients, because you've been very successful getting big ticket clients and we want to learn kind of what your path has been to doing that. So first of all, who is an anti or what do you mean by an anti consultant? And, and you are just not going to you know, be a consultant. Who are you? <laughs> so I, I think the, the reason I call myself an anti-consultant is that's more of an external brand, external part of my pitch than an internal part of my pitch. Um, I'm a hundred percent proud to be a consultant. I look myself in the eye every single day, but I do think there are some knocks that our industry has that I do call out when I'm talking to customers. Mm-hmm. The first one is especially in marketing is the cookie cutter pitch. Mm. How many times have you been in a meeting with the consultant and he spent 30 minutes with you and he's get, then taken that, internalized that information and then pitched you on exactly how you should market. <laughs> and typically what he does is he's, he or she is, in my experience, regurgitating a blog or something that I could have done on my own, such as Facebook ads or instant messenger. And so what we do at Colt Following is everybody that we that becomes a client, mm-hmm. we do a 30-day deep dive. And we are researching everything from your competitors to your customers to your industry and developing that marketing plan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we then deliver a 30-page plan as your first deliverable, and the contract is over at that point. So you could take that plan and execute it without us if you want to, or we've clearly described to you how we're going to execute it. You know, you know what's interesting about that is, First of all, I, I appreciate what you do after you get the client. I'm actually more interested in what you do to get those big ticket clients because, well, because, the, as, yep, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is, I mean, the reason why I, I kind of went through that is explaining that to big ticket clients. Like, I'm not just here to give you a cookie cutter solution. Let me tell you how I work. Yep. Even if you say to me, I need a marketing plan in a week. We're very disciplined and we say no. Every single one of our clients goes through a 30-day deep dive and I describe that whole process. The second thing that we do is it's very, very important that we explain to our clients that we're small enough to know them, but big enough to serve them. And part of the way that that becomes more than just a slogan and we demonstrate that to our clients that we're speaking with is we cap our clients at 12. Mm. We will not take 13 clients or 14 clients, but Mm. we do have a pipeline that's ongoing. So we actually turn into uh, this opportunity where there's a waiting list for us to even start. Mm -hmm. And creating that exclusivity 
And that focus on the number of clients that we could serve also serves big ticket clients really well. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you find your clients? You know, one of the things that um, my listeners share with me in, in chats and different conversations is the big problem is how do I get in front of the right people? I mean, my pitch doesn't matter if I can't talk to anyone, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so what's your strategy for actually finding big ticket clients? One of the things that I like to do is, first of all, it ultimately big ticket clients don't Google, they don't go on Facebook, um, they you know they don't go on LinkedIn. Twitter is okay. I, I think there there's some Twitter, but they're definitely not going to make a ten thousand dollar purchase or higher based on a tweet or even a DM. It, it really does have to come from an introduction. And the introduction, obviously we know like you could go through friends, but another thing that I would offer that we do a lot of is introductions through their staff. Mm. So for example, I do a lot of mentoring of startups and young companies and helping young millennials with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't typically serve them. And I almost say I'm not the right guy to help you. You mm-hmm. can't afford me. I'm not at the right stage. I'm focused on other clients. But there is this kind of mechanism where if you promote something to people that can't join, mm-hmm. they'll talk about it enough where eventually it will reach the staffs or even the attention of those big ticket clients. And it's a little bit controversial, but that's exactly what the, the fire festival did, right? Mm-hmm. They, they promoted to a bunch of people that couldn't afford to go who in turn talked about it. And the people that were rich enough to go bought the ticket. Now the, the bad thing that the fire festival did and the reason the guy went to jail is because he didn't deliver. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you're, you're talking about that, that, that uh, show, uh, something about the Bahamas where, uh, what's that, that, the rapper with this other guy came up with this scheme and everybody went there and then there was nothing there. Is that what you mean? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, the, the point is, is that the acquisition plan w- w- was good. Um, and then there, there's a lot of examples of what we did with Bunker Labs. That's how we were able to reach out to those large organizations is we made it super hot and trendy for smaller organizations where eventually the buzz reached those large organizations and they wanted to be a part of it. Think about how you can use exclusivity Mm -hmm. and noise from not necessarily your customers, but how that noise can filter up to Mm -hmm. your customers to get introductions and get um, some recognition. You know, what I really like about that is it, it sounds very much like what I would call a Trojan horse strategy, where, you know, you've got the Trojan horse. <laughs> it's, it's this beautiful thing that's going to come into the walls, right, of the, of the big uh, city. And once it comes in, then your soldiers come out on the inside. Uh, but you would not have let your soldiers in uh, or those soldiers in uh, if you knew they were soldiers. So I love your strategy. You, you create buzz, you create success at a lower level, and then it works its way up to the CEOs and the CXOs of these bigger ticket uh, companies or, or maybe uh, the bigger buyers uh, that you're looking for. Is that, is that kind of your strategy than a Trojan horse? 
Yeah, I, I like that analogy. I hadn't really thought about that. I should uh, probably watch that Brad Pitt movie again and, <laughs> and really get a, a handle on it. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I can confirm uh, you that it is a very successful strategy. And, and I can see that you are creating that success because you're using it, even if you don't call it that. But given the success that you've um, achieved so far, what are the struggles that you find that your, your, your customers you know, go through even after they become customers? So do they have belief systems that you've got to change? Are they, you know, what do they like, what do you need to do for them to help them be successful? I mean, number one, I call it the blinky star syndrome. Mm -hmm. finding that focus and understanding of what it is they need to accomplish day in and day out, uh, week after week, quarter after quarter, Mm -hmm. really getting that, that, that focus. The, the second thing that, that we see a lot of is founders fall in love with their solution, Mm -hmm. not their customers. And I always tell the, the, the founders that if you don't love who you're serving, like love them to the core, mm-hmm. then you're, you're probably serving the wrong customer, even if it makes a good business case. You, I, I just think that that's so important and that hyper, hyper focus on people you love, um, which should be your customers. And, you know, most famously, Amazon does that. And, and you know, they're by no means a perfect co- company. But I do think you need to love your customer with relentless focus and, and understanding. Yeah, no, no, that what, what great advice. Um, in fact, um, I, I was going to, we could talk for quite a while on, on these topics. It sounds like, you know, you are really making a whole bunch of successful moves out there. Can you tell us maybe one, one success story that you're most proud of? Something you have achieved recently or, or in the past that you believe is a shining example of your success with big ticket clients? Well, one of the things that I've been focusing on most recently is we have this marketing firm cult following. Mm-hmm. And because of that focus and, and love of our customers, we've realized that people need more services than just marketing. And, you know, really digging deep and understanding what it is businesses needs. And we've really kind of fallen in love with this new idea is where we're going to be pivoting to a venture studio where we're going to be helping companies with um, creating ideas, building teams, finding capitals, designing the product, designing the market, and ultimately helping make them successful. And I can't, promise that we're going to be perfect at it or even be a raging success. But what I am proud of is that it wasn't really our idea. It really formulated from listening to our customers and um, developing it from, from that perspective. So I, I'm super proud of, of that. Yeah. And, and, and you should be Derek, you know, I, I appreciate uh, not only the past stories, but the current and future story that you're developing. That's, that's powerful stuff. Derek, uh, in closing, what final nugget of advice would you give to consultants and coaches or advisors who are on the path towards shifting from what, what I call small ticket worlds to big ticket companies, big ticket clients? What do you think they can do to become successful as you've seen in, in your path? 
two things. One is the devil is in the details. Mm. So how things are presented from your signature to those slides, if it is not something that that big ticket company would put their own logo on, mm-hmm. then you shouldn't submit it. Mm. And I, I think that takes a lot of details, um, time and effort. And then the second thing, and I think this applies to any, any entrepreneur endeavor, and it's been said to me in three different ways. The first is don't ever give up. Mm. The second is quitters never win and winners never quit. Mm-hmm. And the third was by Rudy Tomjanovich after he won the, his second NBA title, which is never underestimate the heart of a champion. Wow. And so that's my closing advice. Well, that's powerful stuff. You know, I thought you were going to say something like, hey, I got, adv- I got three words of advice for you. Don't <laughs> give up, <laughs> which, which is uh, quite appropriate to your journey and, and mine. I really appreciate that. Derek, how can people uh, get a hold of you if they want to learn more about your programs or maybe just uh, connect with you in general? What's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, I will help anyone that I can. Probably reaching out to me on LinkedIn is best. Derek Distonfield, you can find me. I'm also D Distonfield on Twitter. My company, Cult Following, is buildyourcult.com. We have one email for the entire company. We try to respond within 30 minutes. And uh, our venture studio is going to be called GSD, which stands for Get S Done. Get, so. S, get S Done. That's it. I'll, I'll let you guess what the S stands for. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say it on the air. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Derek, uh, th- I, I see your website here called Following Marketing for Unstoppable Brands. Uh, Derek, you are a force of nature. Thank you so much for being on the Big Ticket Clients podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Ticket Clients podcast. For more episodes and strategies, visit BigTicketClients.com. That's www.BigTicketClients.com. And remember, you can't catch a whale with a worm.